0: Psalm chapter number one, John chapter number 15. Psalm chapter number one here. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Then back to John chapter number 15. Verse number 1, John 15, one. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches, and he that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. We have just read two very... Similar passages of Scripture, if you were paying any attention at all. One's in the Old Testament and the other's in the New Testament. Both of these are very familiar passages of Scripture. In fact, probably you were quoting along with some of this as we were reading it. If you've been in church for any length of time, you will have heard messages, probably several messages from both of these passages of Scripture. I myself have preached multiple times from them, and I did an entire fairly long Sunday School series on John chapter number 15. So these are not unfamiliar passages of the scripture to God's people. Now, this morning we are not going to try to delve the depths in any way, shape, or form of these passages. It's just not possible. There's too much here. We just don't have that kind of time. Our goal is different this morning. And as I was contemplating this, priests priest did in 1 Samuel chapter number 2 is kind of the idea that came to my mind. What the Old Testament priest would do when they had a piece of meat that had been offered, they would put it into a, they would be boiling this meat. And the priest had what was called a flesh hook. It had three prongs on it, and they would reach down into this hunk of meat that's boiling, and pull out, and whatever came up is what they got to eat. They didn't try, they didn't get the whole thing, just whatever came up on the flesh hook. Now that's kind of the idea of what we're going for this morning. There's no way for us to deal with the entire passage, but in a similar fashion, we're going to see, we'll stick our, we'll strike into this pot and see what the Spirit of God will give us to eat this morning. We know we're not getting it all, but we'll What will the Spirit of God give us to eat this morning? Title of the message, Is the River Dried Up? Is the River Dried Up? Let's pray. Father, we are completely aware of our inabilities, both to speak and to hear we are completely aware of our inability to comprehend. But that does not concern us this morning, Father, because you have given your spirit both to lead and to teach. If we did not have the blessed Holy Spirit, then we would just go home right now. But we trust that the spirit that you have given for the purpose of teaching us would be active here this morning. And that truth would not be allowed to just fall to the ground or pass over our heads, but the truth that each of us needs, and that's all different, Father, but the truth that you know that each of us needs would sink to the heart, and each of us would be fed as we need to be fed this morning and be conformed to the image of the blessed Lord Jesus. Father, we know not what you want to do or need to do in our hearts. We just trust you for every single part. And we thank you for that privilege. And in total faith in our Lord Jesus, we ask it in his name. Amen. We are going to cheat a little bit this morning. The priest had a flesh hook that only had three hooks. But we're going to use four this morning. So we're doing a little bit of cheating. The four hooks are going to be in the form of four questions. We'll strike in that pot and see what the Spirit of God will cause to stick here. So for the four prongs this morning, what is the fruit that is produced? Why is fruit produced? How is fruit produced? And when is fruit produced? There's our four questions for the day. We'll see what the Spirit of God will teach us from that. What fruit is... What is the fruit that is produced? Why is fruit produced? How is fruit produced? And when is fruit produced? So here we go. Question number one, what is the fruit that is produced? In both of these passages of scripture, we have a plant producing fruit. In Psalm chapter number one, if you want to look at that. Verse number three. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. So in that passage, we have a tree by the river bringing forth fruit. In John chapter number 15, verse number five, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, For without me, ye can do nothing. In John 15, we have a branch attached to a vine that is bringing forth fruit. So, clearly, we have a blessed man bringing forth fruit. And the branches of Jesus Christ in John 15 are producing fruit. Let's be clear here. The fruit is not optional. The fruit isn't some radical notion. The fruit is not just for pastors and missionaries. Basically stated, it is expected by God from every believer. It's an expectation that God has. A foregone conclusion that every believer would produce fruit. Now, that changes things we are, if you call yourself a child of God, expected to produce fruit. So, what is this fruit that you are supposed to produce? In certain certain circles, this fruit is automatically defined as leading people to Christ. The preacher will read this passage of scripture and then attempt to burden the hearer with the winning of souls. Now, I am not downplaying whatsoever the winning of souls or the responsibility that we have to the lost, but I don't think that that definition fits this particular scripture nor practical experience. I have known several Christians who have looked at their list of people that they have led to Christ and defined this passage from that i've led all of these people to christ so therefore i have fulfilled this passage of scripture i've known several who did that but when you get close to them when you get to know them when you find out what their relationship with is really like with the lord and their real testimony it doesn't matter what that list how long that list of people they led to christ in your mind you're saying that cannot be the definition of this passage. They may have a hundred people that they have led to Christ, but that cannot be the definition of this passage of Scripture. Their life does not match up with what I'm reading here. Circumstances are often different when we start talking about leading people to Christ. I read of a famous preacher. This is, this is kind of threw me for a loop. I read of a famous preacher He got saved and within two weeks he was literally leading thousands of people to Christ. These big revivals popped open within just a matter of a few weeks. All of these people were coming to Christ from his preaching. Now, you think about where you were at two weeks after you got saved. You say, man, was I green as grass. I was just a baby in Christ. Well, that's what this guy was, and yet thousands of people are coming to Christ. You say, well, is that supposed to be the norm? Well, if we look at other circumstances, think about the man Noah. Now think about, what did Noah have to show for his 120 years of preaching? What what did he have to show for that? How many converts did he have after his 120 years of preaching? Well, the people that got on the boat was his family, that's who he had. Now, you say, well, he wasn't a blessed man. It's according to Psalm one, he no, must not have been a blessed man. You think, wait a second, he was the only righteous man on the planet. He had to have been a blessed man. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to tell you that circumstances are different. One man trusts Christ as his savior. Two weeks later, he preaches and thousands of people are getting saved. We could find, on both sides of this equation, people who've led lots of people to Christ and people who have preached the gospel for years and years and years and years and not led a lot of people to Christ. Circumstances differ in this. Once again, I'm not negating the winning of souls or trying to give anybody an excuse, but I think the fruit that's produced here is fairly clear because the fruit here is not optional. The fruit here is not sometimes yes, sometimes no. The fruit here is not defined by circumstances. I think the fruit that's produced here is fairly clear. Galatians five twenty-two, you know that verse. But the fruit of the spirit, the fruit that the spirit produces. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. So, what is the fruit that is produced in our life? It is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit that the Spirit produces. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. That is the fruit that is produced. Those things should be being produced in your life all of the time. There's no exemptions here, this isn't just for pastors. We should have this fruit in our lives, the fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit that's being produced? The fruit of the Spirit. Question number two, why is the fruit produced? Why is the fruit produced? No, this is a really hard thing for us to grasp. It's a tough as the old our old forefathers used to use this expression. It's a tough pill to swallow. It's a tough pill to swallow. How many have heard that before? Kelly was saying that this week. She had these pills are so big. I don't think I can swallow okay, them. It's a tough pill to swallow. Okay. This is a tough, what I'm going to say here is a tough pill to swallow. It's a, thing, a hard thing for us to get our mind to wrap around. A Christian still has the flesh. He's a new creature in Christ. He has a, a, he has a new nature, but he still is saddled with that old flesh. And the flesh cannot be rehabilitated. This is a very tough pill to swallow, but you've got to get this, your mind to wrap around this. The flesh cannot be rehabilitated. If you dress it in church clothes, it's still flesh. If you put nice polish on it, it's still the flesh. If you clean it up and make it do religious things, it's still the flesh. It's hard for us to get our mind to wrap around because the flesh is so very religious. In fact, a huge percentage of the work done in the Lord's name is done by harnessing the flesh. I'm not saying that's a good thing, but I'm just telling you a huge percentage of the work done in the Lord's name is done by harnessing this old thing that cannot be rehabilitated, this old thing we call the flesh. Consider, a man serves in a specific role at the church for many, many years, and he does it, because he wants to be known by others as a faithful man. This is harnessing the flesh. A woman teaches Sunday school or works in the nursery because she wants to be thought of as being committed. A man does all kinds of things in the background. He doesn't come to the forefront, but in the background. He does all these things, and nobody knows he's doing them, but he patches himself on his back for his humility, having done these things in the background. A person sings a special in church because he wants to hear the compliments afterwards. Much of what is done in, across the country, around the world, in the name of the Lord, in the average church, is done by people who want to be thought of as a good Christian. It's truly amazing how wrapped up in our Quote unquote, work for the Lord, our flesh can get. But when we do that, when we work for the Lord in our flesh, when we try to spiritualize, we try to polish up our flesh, what ends up happening is that all points back to us. It points that finger back to us, it points it back to how wonderful we are, or how good we are. This is the flesh. the reason that the flesh does anything is for recognition even if that's just self-recognition but do you know that the reason that the fruit is produced is not for the glory of the flesh we are not to have this fruit we're supposed to produce fruit but it is not to glorify the flesh the spirit will always produce fruit that will glory glorify christ the fruit is always produced to the glory of God. Now let's see if we can get your mind to wrap around this. Let's test your survival knowledge. You find yourself out in the desert, okay? You're either in the Old West Desert or you're in the uh, Mid- Middle, Middle Eastern, the Mid-Eastern Desert, the Sahara, okay? You're there, you have a pair of binoculars. You're on a high hill, you have a pair of binoculars, and you're thirsty. That's what you do in the desert, you get thirsty. So you can see for 10 miles in any direction. You're in the desert, what do you look for? You know you gotta have water, so what are you gonna do? There's not gonna be a river floating through, just so you know. So test your survival skills, what are you looking for? I'll tell you what you're looking for, something green. Because green denotes water. If you're sitting there and you see 10 big palm trees, buddy, you better head that direction. Why? Because that's where the water is. Now hold that picture. You've looked over that whole burnover over spot and all you see is one spot of green. And that, the glory is not in the trees, the glory is in the water that produces those trees. That's what you're really after. Hold that thought. The fruit we are talking about today is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. That's the fruit we're looking for. Now ask yourself, how plentiful is that in our world today? Let me read that list again. And you try to think of where you would see that. You're standing on the hill looking around to see this. And you tell me, you think, how plentiful is this? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. As you scan the horizon of our world today, in this burnt over desert <laughs> we call life, how much of that you see? And you say, that's pretty rare. You just don't see that very often. Well, let's look at the opposite picture and see how plentiful that is. What is the opposite of the fruit of the spirit? I'll give them to the opposites. And you think about what in our world looks like that? Hatred, despair, fear, impatience, harshness, Selfishness, doubt, pride, no (laughs) self-control. Now you're scared, you say, oh boy, there's a whole lot of that. Everywhere I look, that's what our world is defined by right now. These things are found in great commodity everywhere you look in the world. You know what? The world doesn't need any more of that stuff, any more than the desert needs more sand. The fruit of the Spirit is produced not only for your benefit, because it is a benefit to have love and joy and peace in your heart, but it stands as a beacon drawing men to Christ in a world filled with hatred and despair and self and fear and doubt, those lush green leaves, that marvelous fruit stands out like an oasis in the desert. And men are drawn to Christ because of that. They see the desert stand all around and they see that one green lush fruit that's being produced in a Christian's life and they are drawn to Christ. This is why sometimes the fruit is, consider, is confused with the winning of souls. Because the spirit produces fruit in your life and that will draw men to Christ. Christ. Why is the fruit produced? Not for the glory of self. That's what the flesh is doing. The fruit that is produced is for the glory of Christ. What is the fruit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Why is the fruit produced? It is produced for the glory of Christ. Number three. How is the fruit produced? How is that fruit produced? In Psalm 1, the tree produces the fruit. Why? Because it's planted by a river of water. The tree doesn't go running around looking for water. It doesn't busy itself trying to dig a well. It doesn't work, to itself, work hard to, pr- to prove itself worthy of the river. A tree just abides by the river, drawing everything it needs to live. The branch in John 15 doesn't try to develop separate tap roots. It doesn't try to boast of its exploits so that the vine will take care of it. It simply draws every single thing that it needs from the vine. Psalm 1, it's planted. John 15, it abides. When the branch abides in the vine when the branch draws everything it needs from the vine the fruit will automatically be produced just like that tree it pulls that water out of the river and the fruit is produced automatically just like that grapevine the vine the little branch coming stem coming off that vine It pulls everything it needs out of the vine and that fruit appears automatically. We produce fruit the exact same way. We don't produce fruit by trying to convince God we are worthy. We don't produce fruit by trying to suck it up and make it happen. We don't produce fruit by trying to hog tie our flesh and make it love, joy, and peace. Fruit is produced by simply... Abiding in Christ, taking everything that we need from him. Let's be very clear here. Look at Psalm 1. Verse number 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in this law does he meditate day and night. Do you know the scriptures are essential to this fruit-producing process? Let's state it very plainly here. The Holy Spirit and the scriptures are inseparable. One of the most dangerous things a Christian can do is try to take the Holy Spirit without the Word of God. If you know anything about religion, the people who do that are just ripe for every single kind of error. When you try to take the Holy Spirit without the scriptures, they fall into all kinds of strange ideas and excesses. They don't get the true benefit of the Spirit because the Spirit and the Word are inseparable. Of course, the opposite is true. When people try this, to take the Word without the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, everything that you know spiritually, the Holy Spirit taught you. The Holy Spirit is the teacher of the Word of God. So to try to read your Bible without the Holy Spirit is just ask, is to ask to read without understanding. And not only that, it's the Holy Spirit who enables you to live the words of the book. So if you try to read the Bible without the Holy Spirit, you find these high standards set by the Scripture that are completely unattainable by you. The Spirit and the Word are inseparable. To separate them is to end up in error or in dryness or in futility. The two of them cannot be separated. In this fruit-producing thought process, you have to have the Spirit and the Word. It is surprising how many Christians try to live on scriptures that they get just at church. It is surprising how many Christians try to live on the scriptures that they get just from church. Now hear me, I'm a firm believer in the local church. I think every person ought to do whatever they can do to be in every service whenever the doors are open. Over the last 20-some years, God's people across the country have gotten very lax in this area. It doesn't take hardly any excuse at all to keep people out of church these days. Most churches have lost their Wednesday night service. Many churches are in danger of losing their Sunday evening service. It's because of the disobedience of to Hebrews chapter number 10. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The fact of the matter is, you need the body of Christ. We found that out here recently when you didn't get to have it. You need the body of Christ. And the, the actual truth is the body of Christ needs you. And to let that go is a huge mistake. To take that lightly is a huge mistake. The local church cannot be neglected. But it is not a replacement or a substitute for your personal time with the Lord. The Spirit and the Word cannot be separated. To do so is to do so to your own peril. You must spend time with the Lord on your own. If you are to produce the fruit that you are expected to produce, you will not get enough Bible here in the services. Although we believe in the local church and you should be here, you will not get enough strictly here to produce the fruit That you ought to produce. The the scripture is very clear. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. That's not what it says. In his law doth he meditate day and night. The scripture, the spirit, produces the fruit but the Spirit and the Word cannot be separated if you do so you're doing so to your own peril and don't expect much fruit from your life if you do so but when you abide in Christ the Holy Spirit will produce the necessary fruit in your life no matter what the situation the Spirit of God will produce that necessary fruit what are the situations in your life does a situation that, you, that you're facing now require love? Many of the situations that we deal with actually require a great deal of love. The people who are, needing, who are needing that love probably don't deserve that love very much. But they're needing that love. And you can't maybe find that within yourself to love. But do you know the Spirit of God has enough love for the both of you. And he can produce that fruit in your life. Many of the people around you need that love. And it needs to be produced in your life. The Spirit of God has enough for the both of you. Does the situation need peace? The Spirit of God has plenty of peace. Do you need patience and self-control? The Spirit of God has that. The Spirit knows exactly what is needed and has more than enough for the situation that you're facing. He produces the fruit... We just draw what we need from the vine. It's not trying to work up something, but taking what is already being supplied. How is the fruit produced? The Spirit of God produces it. All we do is take what is already being supplied. And question number four. When is fruit produced? When is fruit produced? From my perspective, this is the real point here. At least this is where the Spirit of God was working on me this week. When is fruit produced? Now I suppose we could take the illustration and justify ourselves and say, you know what? Plants only produce fruit one season out of the year. So see, I only have 25% of the time. I only have to produce fruit 25% of the time because that's what a plant actually does. He doesn't produce in the winter, in the spring, and in the fall. It's just the, the summer area there. I suppose you could do that with logic. But do you really want to take that logic before the Lord and use that logic on him? I don't think I wanna do that. So when is this fruit produced? Is it just seasonal? I think the logical answer is really, the fruit is produced whenever it is needed. And when is this fruit needed? I think the logical answer to that is continually. When you think of a tree by the water, what effect does the weather have on that tree? Can you have, honestly, done much going down the river, kayaking or boating down the river? There's one thing about the trees along the river. The weather doesn't affect them much. When it's storming, when it's, uh, the wind is blowing, when it's sunshiny, when, it just doesn't change those trees. They're already getting enough water. Even in a drought, the river never completely stops flowing, and this tree is still getting all the water that it needs. All around might be burnt grass and withered brown leaves on all the other stuff, but the tree that is by the water remains unchanged no matter what. What's happening around it does not affect the tree because it has its tap roots right there where the supply continually is and it's always drawing enough water to maintain itself all the time exactly as it always was. The fact of the matter is every moment of our lives needs the fruit of the Spirit. Every conversation, every decision, every conflict Every situation needs the fruit of the Spirit. I challenge you to think through your past week. Think through your past week the conversation with friends, the questions from your children, the needs of each family member, the conflict at work, the transaction at the store, and your responses on social media. Each one of those moments required the fruit of the Spirit. Each one of those moments required the fruit of the Spirit. The question is, did they get it? Every conversation, every question from your kids, every difficulty at work, every transaction that you, you made, Every response that you did through social media, the circumstances of your life, every single one of them required the fruit of the Spirit. Did they get it? Were each of those moments filled with love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, Those moments all required the fruit of the Spirit. And the question is, did they get it? In a world filled with hatred and grief and fear and selfishness and pride and doubt, God's children should stand out as lush, green, well-watered trees to the glory of Jesus Christ. But if we take ourselves back to our desert thought process as we look around the world as we know it. Even though the United States is filled with Christians, one might wonder, has the vine quit supplying? Is that river all dried up? Let's pray.